Anybody else here who's married having like PTSD from your first date on that? I was thinking back, it wasn't our very first date, but when my wife Sarah and I, it was our first date we'd been on, it's when we decided to be exclusive. We were a thing, an item, whatever the kids call it these days. I don't know. But um, I can remember we got back. I was dropping her off at her dorm. We were in college. And I asked, well, can I just give you a hug? She said, yeah, sure. And I go to hug her, but I was really nervous. And so I like hug her and I'm like, like patting like that. So she still mocks me. She still brings that up 13 years later. And it's okay. We got married anyway. It's fine. So, well, in this series uh, that we're looking at, we're really looking at the fact that, and Brad covered this the last two weeks, all of us come into our marriage, really we come into any relationship before we're married, and we have this box, and we got a picture of this box, and it has all of our hopes, it has all of our dreams, it has all of our desires in it, and we bring these in, and the problem is, when we bring them in, we typically look at the other person, and when we kind of dump them into their box, or we have a combined box that we dump everything together, it stops being hopes, dreams, and desires, and really quick, it starts feeling like demands, and it starts feeling like expectations. And so when we do that, it takes what should be awesome and amazing and enjoyable, and it makes it what we call transactional. And when something's transactional, it means things get miserable really quick, and it puts you in a spot where your relationship operates that whoever is the best negotiator in the relationship, they are going to be the one that is always going to win. So one of you is guaranteed to be miserable. The other person might act like they're not miserable, but underneath they're miserable too. And regardless, the we ends up losing. The we ends up living because both, both individual person loses. And so we all bring this into our relationship. It's unavoidable. And Andy Stanley, who's a pastor who kind of put this series together that we're adapting, uh, he talked about how really a lot of these things that we bring in, hopes, dreams, and desires, they're kind of intangible. They're kind of floating out there and uh, they can sneak up on us. So I've got these on the screen. Check this out. All of us, we want to be things like this. Cherished, protected, defended, trusted, respected, desired, admired, prioritized, pursued, attracted to. And so when we enter into a relationship, especially a marriage relationship, the big challenge is how do you take what are your hopes, dreams, and desires and keep them from becoming expectations that are going to weigh down on the other person and make them feel like they always owe you something. That's this challenge that we're in. And what ends up happening if you don't do that is it destroys any love you have and any intimacy you have because it's always, well, how much does this person owe me? What debt do I owe to them? You just ask that question all the time, and that's no way to go about life. That's no way to go about a relationship. And so we got to ask, what do we do with our box? We got hopes, dreams, and desires. It's not a bad thing. God gives those to us, and we use those. But what do we do with it? Well, where we're going to dive into the Bible today uh, we're going to dive and see what Peter, one of the early disciples, says. He's going to tell us kind of what to do. And it may seem unrealistic, it may seem lofty and a little weird, but we all have to face the fact, like, where else are we going to go with this if we're not going to go to God and ask Him what to do with our hopes, dreams, and desires? Then we've got to go to another human being or we've got to rely on ourselves. And most of us know if you've lived life at all, neither of those two options work really great. So, we're going to look and say, okay, God, how do you see this working? And I think we're especially challenged because we live in the Western world. The United States is especially notorious for this. And that is um, when historians look back over the course of history at how marriage has been perceived. In the Western world, especially the U.S., we put so much stock in marriage. We see it almost as if this thing that is just going to be the thing. It's going to be it. It is going to be the solution. And so when I go and I get married, 
you know what, that's going to be the key. That's where I'm going to find fulfillment. That is where my issues are going to be solved. My hopes, dreams, and desires, all the dots are going to be connected. And we get into marriage and it's like, whoa, that didn't look like I thought it did. And what ends up happening is, yes, marriage is an incredible gift. The Bible affirms that. It's an incredible thing. Marriage is, is great, but a lot of us, we end up focusing so much on the gift, we forget about the gift giver. We forget to look to the person who gave it to us and created it and say, how's this supposed to work? What am I supposed to do? And so today, what we're going to end up reading that Peter says, um, he wasn't speaking just to married people, but he was speaking into relationships as a whole. And so for the sake of this series, we're applying it to our marriage. But wherever you sit, this applies to you. So here's the deal. When we get into a relationship and you bring these hopes, dreams, and desires, you really basically have three options for if a desire is not satisfied, this is what most of us do. I'm going to put these on the screen here. The first thing is you ignore them. You just pretend you don't care. Uh, you know it's unhealthy, but you just keep giving and giving and giving to the other person. You get weary. The relationship gets weird. You aren't a better spouse, and you just, you just keep just gritting. You just iron knuckle it. You grit your teeth, and you keep going on. So that's one option. You ignore it. Some of us, though, this is the option that we go to more than anything. It's we stay busy. And this is where you just bury yourself in something. Uh, you bury yourself in work. You bury yourself in uh, whatever degree you're getting online. Uh, you find your hobby like the Pinterest board and you're plotting out redecorating your house. Not a bad thing, but you just that becomes your focus. Uh, you go and your golf game becomes the thing that is most important. Or maybe you don't just create your own little world apart from your spouse, but you and your spouse, instead of focusing on, hey, let's sift these hopes, dreams, and desires, you go, oh, I don't want to deal with our issues. Oh, look, we have a seventh grade kid. Seventh graders have all kinds of issues. Let's focus on, on that because they're pretty much living in the seventh layer of hell. And you go and you solve that. And then eventually that kid graduates high school. They leave and you look at the other person and you go, oh my gosh, all those issues we solved for them, we left ours aside and they're still here. And you just put off dealing with something. If you don't, it's going to destroy you. And that brings us to option three. And that's that you just go, you don't ignore them. You don't stay busy. You just go find somebody else. But we know that's an issue because wherever you go, when you leave a relationship, you go to the next one, what's the common denominator of both of those relationships? You are. You can't not take you with you. And so you go, everything starts over. You're on your best behavior. The other person's on their best behavior. It seems all great. The love potion chemicals are kicking in, but those only last a max of four years. And eventually you end up in the same spot you were with the last relationship. And so we're faced with the fact, you know, most people, when we get in that mode, and like, man, I just got to find another relationship. You don't go to that new relationship thinking, man, I just want to go and I want to give my life to somebody. We don't ask that. When we switch relationships, you're thinking, what did I not get in the last relationship? I think in this one, I'm going to get it this time. That's what we say. And so if you're sitting here and you've been in that spot, you left a relationship, it's toast, it was tough, and you're, you're dating or you're new in your marriage and stuff, I want to encourage you, you can tap the brakes and say, okay, God, I don't want to do this my way. I see where that leads. What do you want me to do in this? And just see how he starts helping you sift that, all right? So with what do we do with our box, Peter's going to speak to it. It's going to pick right up kind of on what Brad talked about last week when he was talking about this mutual submission thing being the first to the back of the line. And this is what it's going to come down to at the end, and that is that you're going to have frustrations. I'm going to have frustrations. The question is, where are you going to go with them? Because frustrations, they have to go somewhere, 
And what's so sweet in what Peter says here is that God invites us to dump them at his feet. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to um, open up our hearts. I'm going to ask him to just key in our minds where he needs them to be and do the work in them he needs. Uh, And we're going to see what he does. So let's ask him. Jesus, I just ask you, Holy Spirit, will you be in this place? Will you do the work we can't do ourselves? Father, um, I know there's certain thoughts that they almost become hardwired into our brain about who we are, about who our significant other is, about how life works, and they're, they're just not right. I ask you to just heal those, Father. Make the new connection that shows, no, this is reality. This is truth. Would you soften our hearts, God? Um, God, I I can feel, um, I don't know, I can feel that some of us in this room, um, I I kind of have a sense that you've got some stuff that you need to really break down, some walls to break down. Uh, And I ask you to do it just in your name and in your power for your glory, God. Get us ready to be people that know where to go with these frustrations, with our hopes and our dreams and our desires today. God, we don't want to walk out the same people we came in. Jesus, we give this time to you. Um, Just do what you do and uh, show us what you want us to do in response. I pray for each of us, God. Every woman, every man sitting here, everybody watching online at home or at work or in their car. Jesus, do something today. We ask you because we know that that's what you do. Amen. So in this letter that we're going to open up, we're going to be reading in 1 Peter. So if you've got your hard copy Bible, you want to flip to it, you want to pull out your phone and your tablet. If you're watching online and you want to jump on uh, your laptop or whatever, you can go to insidescc.org. And it's this sweet little website that Craig set up. And one of the things you can do on it, you can click take sermon notes. And you can literally type notes in under the verses. And then you put your email in and hit send. And it sends it to you to save for later. It's, it's really legit, actually. And so as we go into this, I want to give you just a quick background on why is this letter written? Because you don't typically look and just start reading something without knowing what's the purpose of this. So, Peter writes this letter. We think he probably wrote it. We're going to show a little picture of him and his buddy who helped him write it up on the screen. We think he wrote this probably like 62, 63 AD. So, at this point, Jesus had gone back to heaven. He'd been gone like 30 years. So, the church is like 30 years old, still fairly young. They're still trying to figure out how to do life. And when Peter writes this, he writes this to a bunch of churches that are dealing with persecution. They're really struggling to do life well. Things are not going great. He gets his buddy Sylvanus uh, to help transcribe the letter. It was a common thing that you would maybe do. You'd be saying what you want to write, and the other person's over there, you know, writing it down. So he helps out Pete. And the churches that he wrote this to were in modern-day Turkey, which we refer to as Asia Minor. And so we'll show you another map really quick. And what you'll see is this big glob kind of colored in with yellow, and that is Turkey. So that's where these churches were located. And you see to the west a little bit, you see a yellow dot in Italy that's at Rome. So Peter's in Rome where things are pretty hairy as it is, but Peter hears things are going really badly over here in Asia Minor. And so Peter, being one of the disciples who was with Jesus, who had been at this a while, he's kind of an old, wise sage at this point. He's seen some stuff. He's experienced some stuff. He writes this letter to encourage them and to challenge them. And like I said earlier, it really does ring true into every relationship. But specifically, we're going to really just say, this is what this looks like in marriage. But wherever you sit, you can walk out of here going, I've got something I can chew on this week. So let's dive right in. Verse 5, 1 Peter 5, we're going to be in the second half of verse 5. So here's what it says. It says, all of you 
Uh, None of us get a pass, all of you. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. So Peter says, what's the key? Well, the key, when you're starting out, you got to have humility. If you're not humble, then you're not in the back of the line and you can't, you can't start to unpack your box in the way God asks you to. Now, what's the key to showing some humility? Well, one of the ways we do that, and I think it came up previous in the series, is there's a question you need to ask yourself. We need to look and say, okay, so if I don't feel like I'm having humility, if I don't feel like I'm being humble, I need to ask, what would a humble person do? Most of us can come up with an answer to that, and we go, okay, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go to the back of the line in this way. I'm going to make this decision. I'm going to say this instead of this. So we ask ourselves that question. But why does that the point we have to be at? Well, he tells us here, he says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So now this word opposes, it also means like resists. And at first it's like, well, gosh, God, what are you thinking? But you think about it. We're made in God's image. We do the same thing. If you're with a friend or you're with someone you're dating or married to, and they're just being all prideful all the time, Do you want to be around them? No, you start kind of resisting. You start taking a step back away from them. And in the case of God, it's not this hateful thing. It's like when your kid is playing with something and you say, hey, you you shouldn't do that because it's going to get you hurt. And they just keep ignoring you and keep ignoring you. And you say something, you're finally like, well, the loving thing is I got to let them hurt themselves because they're not going to learn. It's kind of like that with pride. So often God's like, I still love you. I still got you. But I'm going to have to let you bang your head into a wall a couple times till you realize, oh, this isn't working. So God opposes that. But what does he do if we're not proud, if we are humble, if we show some humility? Well, it says he shows favor. That basically means grace. And that's a pretty big promise because that means God, when he shows you favor, it means as broken as you are. When you're going moment by moment, situation by situation, day by day, he gives you just what you need. Maybe no more but no less. He gives you what we need. That's good to know. Now, so did you notice too, he said, where are we supposed to go to humble ourselves? It's not like he says, hey, go do this on yourself and come back to me. No, he said, do this under God's mighty hand. Pretty much means putting our stuff in God's hand. Now, our tendency is going to be that when we get in that spot and we feel vulnerable and we want to ignore or we want to get busy or we want to leave, most of us, our tendency is we're going to get defensive We're going to power up and we're going to try to overpower. But God says, no, no, no. That's not the way I made you to operate. You're going to try to grip it in your hands so tight. I want you to loosen your grip. And I got my hand right here. Just put it, put it right here. So he asks us to be humble. He opposes if we're proud. But if we're humble, he gives us this. And then what's the result? He says, in time, he will lift us up. What's that supposed to mean? Well, we're going to get to that. Let's check out verse 7. Next, Peter writes, he says, Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, Peter grew up a little Jewish boy. He would have been in synagogue every week. He would have known the Old Testament almost like the back of his hand. He knew all the prayers. He'd been taught so much of this. And the way that he did life almost had that built in. There were just certain times each day you knew, all right, I'm going to pray. And when I go to pray at this time after lunch, I'll probably offer one of these prayers. He knew the Bible like the back of his hand, so he knew a thing about praying. And so he would have known, okay, 
so I can go to God. I've got a God who loves me. I know that. The Bible told me that. But a lot of the people living in Turkey, Asia Minor at that time, they didn't grow up with a Jewish background. They grew up a Gentile. They grew up in a pagan religion. And in most pagan religions, how does that work? They aren't thinking, oh man, this God loves me and cares for me. They think, wow, this God is angry. This God is not happy with me. So I'm going to bring an offering and I'm going to make it and I'm going to hope this is enough to satisfy them. They'll give me what I want and what I need. They thought of it as transactional. So when Peter says, no, no, cast all your anxiety on them. He cares for you. This is like, what? This is huge. And for us, where we sit, we're like, wait, so you're saying anything I'm anxious about, anything I care about, a need that's left unmet, a frustration I've been carrying for eight years, an unfulfilled dream that dates back to when I was in high school, but then my dad passed away and I had to go and do a job I didn't want to do to care for whatever. We can talk to God about that. We can talk to God about that. If you're sitting in your marriage, you know, the things your husband promised to do but didn't follow through on, hey, you can cast that. You can throw that out there to God. You know, the things that your wife said that were so hurtful, it just made you think respect was never going to happen. Yeah, you can tell God about that. Things that you thought and you believed and you just fought for so much that just seemed like they just withered up, you can talk to God about that. Now, here's what's neat. How many of y'all, I want to ask this question, how many of y'all in school just like killed it at English and grammar? Is there anybody in here who was that kid? Yeah. Were you mocked and ridiculed like for that? I got, I got made fun of. Now, I wasn't like the master, but I was good at it. And like, I remember I liked diagramming sentences. I know you're like, oh, you're such a nerd. I know, but I loved it because I could see how things worked. Like, oh, that's like the subject and this is the verb and all that, right? So if you're that person and you've just faced ridicule so long, this is for you because what's so neat is that when you look at this and God, in this case, is telling Peter, all right, tell him to cast their anxiety on me. That word cast is actually a participle. And what does a participle look like? What well, has an ing on the end? Our translation doesn't show it, but it's actually casting. So when you have a participle, what do we know about participles? Participles always connect to another verb. Well, where does it connect back to? Well, you got to go to the other sentence. So when he says, humble yourselves in verse 6, then he says, humble yourselves, other words, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So Peter's saying, basically, hey, if you've humbled yourself, at that point, you can really start to do this and see God start to work with you. So if you're there and you're like, yes, there was a reason. The reason that you slaved away diagramming those sentences and trying to get good grades in English, it was maybe for this day. So I'm just trying to give purpose to your life. That's just a free token. God didn't say to say that. It just came to my mind. So this is big. It's personal. But this means something. This means God is literally saying, I invite you to be honest with me. It doesn't have to be polite. It does not have to be formal. And a lot of ourselves, if you grew up in church, we start to think there's a certain way I need to pray. And, and should we seek to honor God when we pray? Yeah. But one of the ways we can hold out on God and not honor him are when we aren't just being honest with him. You know, when we get in that spot and we got the hopes and the dreams and desires and they're unfulfilled, a lot of times there's a lot of energy. I said we tend to power up. And we're going to take that somewhere. We're going to dump the frustration somewhere, the energy, the negative energy, and the pain. We're going to gush that. And we can take it at our spouse, or we can take it to God 
and dump them at his feet. And a lot of us, we don't think, oh, there's a God who wants to hear this. But God really does. Because I, I experienced this, like in the spot, you know, God's like our heavenly father. Well, I have three kids, Miles, he's eight, Silas is six, and Adalia is five. My middle kid, Silas, this happened yesterday. So it was the first time in nine years that they were launching a rocket. Space, SpaceX is launching it with NASA. So we end up at my mom and dad's place, and we stream this on YouTube. And we watch this rocket launch, and it seems really cool. It's great. And at the end, my mom says, hey, guys, what's so cool is when stuff like this happens at Christmas, they're probably going to make toys for this, and we can get those toys. So in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, I want my kids to, pl- to ask for rockets because I want to play with rockets, but I don't have to ask for them. If my kids get them, I still get to play with these, you know? And so I look at my middle kid, Cy, and I say, hey, Cy, that's pretty awesome. You guys would like that, wouldn't you? And Cy looks at me straight face, not kidding. He goes, no, nah, not really. <laughs> and I was like, really? And he goes, no, Dad. I said, yeah. He goes, Dad, I'm, <laughs> he made that face. I'm serious, Dad. I just, I wouldn't really like that very much. And part of me was like struck. And I was like, oh, I don't get to play with rockets this December. That sucks. And then immediately afterward, I thought, I'm so honored and I'm so thankful that my six-year-old kid trusted me enough to speak his mind. I got to see just a little picture of his preference and his heart. And I was like, oh, that's so awesome. And we don't think about the fact God wants to hear it out loud, just like I wanted to hear it out loud. But we need to think that way. Our frustrations have to go somewhere, and God says, you can take them to me. But see, Peter didn't just invite, invent this from somewhere. He didn't just pull this out of his butt one day randomly and write a letter. Peter, we said he grew up a little Jewish kid, and he knew the prayers. He knew ways of doing this. Well, in the Psalms, which is a collection of psalms and prayer, uh, songs and prayers, he actually knew that David like the David who slayed Goliath in the Old Testament, he had spoken about this before. So we're going to read these words that Peter kind of picked this stuff up from. Check it out. Psalm 55, we're going to start in verse 12. Let's check this out. This is pretty raw stuff. He says, well, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it's you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked among the worshipers. Ah, let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil things, uh, for evil finds lodging among them. And as for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and He hears my voice. He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. And God, who is enthroned from of old, who doesn't change, he'll hear them and humble them because they have no fear of God. My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His talk is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, and yet they're drawn swords. Cast your cares. There it is. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he'll sustain you. He'll never let the righteous be shaken. But you, God, you'll bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and the deceitful, they, they won't live out half their days. But as for me, I trust in you. We read that, those words, and there's part of me, I'm like, oh, that's like, that's like brutally honest, almost uncomfortable. But there's something refreshing about it. You notice that David, he didn't feel the need to be nice. Oh, David was kind. 
There was truth and there was love in those words. He assumed the God who's hearing me say this, even if it doesn't come out like I want, he says, yep, unpack it, back the truck up, dump it. I can work with that. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. David didn't feel the need to be dishonest. He didn't feel the need to beat around the bush. He just offered these words and he assumed God hears me. God cares. I know he can do something. And if you had that attitude, if I had that attitude, if we did this, can you imagine the prayers we start praying? It does, let me give you an example. God, I'm so frustrated with my wife. I feel like she never listens to me. God, gosh, I, I just wish I'd met, never met him. I, I wish I'd never marry him. Heck, I wish I'd never slept with him. God, that dude is the father of my kids. I feel like I don't even know the guy anymore. God, my wife makes me want to find somebody else. And I don't want to go there, but I don't know what option I have. You know, this, we almost just back the truck up, start dumping it. And it's like, so anyway, God, there's that. And God says, okay, good. That's a good place to start. Because if we don't get that out of the way, it's going to be hard to do much else. There was a story I read pretty cool. It's about an actor named Gavin McLeod. Some of you will remember him. He's still alive. He's like 89 years old this year. And back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, he was super well known as an actor. In the 60s, he was in McHale's Navy. In the 70s, he was on the Mary Tyler Moore show. In the 80s, he was the captain of the love boat. And so he actually is a follower of Jesus. He and his wife both are. And so he told this story. He said, when it got to 1982, he said, really selfishly, I just went and divorced my wife because I had all kinds of issues. We had all kinds of issues. He didn't really know Jesus yet. And after the divorce, his wife went and the former, the ex-wife of Jerry Lewis, who I believe her name was Patty, invited Gavin's wife to come to this prayer meeting. And it was a bunch of women who had all either been married or were still married to celebrities. And they would just go and they just pray honest prayers. And so Gavin's wife comes into this meeting and she says, I want to pray for Gavin. We're divorced. It's toast. But God's saying, I need to pray for him. So she starts praying. Well, before long, he starts thinking about his wife. He starts thinking about the fact, man, that was really selfish. I shouldn't have done that. And he calls her up. He says, hey, I've been thinking about you. She said, really? I've been praying for you. And so three years after that, 1985, they reconcile. They give their lives to Jesus they remarry, and God has just used their story in huge ways. In Hollywood, he's actually been in a lot of faith-based films the last few years. He's this grandfatherly figure. And where did that life change start? It started with the woman who was broken, who felt like she'd just been cast aside, going into a group and just starting an honest prayer, unpacking the frustration, the unfulfilled hopes and dreams and desires, and seeing what God would do with it. That's where it started. So maybe you're in a spot you've never been able to do that. You look and you say, I, my earthly dad, I knew I couldn't be honest with him really. I knew if I was talking to dad that I had to talk in this way and it had to be these words and it had to be yes, sir, and it had to be, you know, blah, blah, blah. I never could be truly honest with my dad. And so this is going to feel really backward, really awkward and unnatural for some of y'all, but God is inviting us, talk to me honestly. Pray honestly, because you got to take your frustration somewhere. Why not go to the God who created you and gave you those hopes and dreams in the first place? So, 
We're going to look one more thing Peter says, because if we skip this, I think we'd miss the point. Check out verse 8, 1 Peter 5, 8. We're circling back to that passage. He says this, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So Peter says, now let's not forget, we got an enemy. He's always got you in the crosshairs. He's always on the hunt. Now, I don't know if any of y'all have taken up getting a Disney Plus subscription, uh, but I found out because of our iPhone plan or whatever um, that we could get a free year of it. And I was like, uh, yes, that's awesome. We get Disney Plus. And I've been struck by just how many really sweet, legit nature documentaries are on there. And I've always enjoyed watching lions hunt. I don't know why. It's not that I hate gazelles and antelopes. I just enjoy watching lions do the thing God made them to do. And when you watch a lion, they have to be so strategic because they know I've got to choose the right spot and I've got to choose the right time of the day where that gazelle is going to go take a drink or where that little antelope is going to be playing with his buddy and frolicking and I can catch him off guard because, uh, you know, the lion's not fast enough to do it unless he chooses his moment. Well, he says, you know what, like a roaring lion, the enemy's waiting and he's wanting to take you down. He's wanting to knock you off your game. And we're applying all of this into our marriages. I think Satan makes your marriage one of the places he attacks the hardest. Because you think about it, if he gets your marriage, if he can go and make that marriage come apart, he gets you, he gets your spouse, he gets your kids, he gets your broader extended family, he affects the small group you're in at church. He affects your coworkers. There is nobody outside of your sphere that if he can bust that marriage up, he's going to go after it. And so this is going to be a spot. We're going to be open for attack, and we need to be ready for this. But if we'll be ready, check out the promise God makes. This is the final verse here, 10, actually, and 11. We need to be ready, but the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ... After you've suffered a little while, he himself will restore you and will make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So we got this calling. We've got this calling to be humble, to be, as Brad said last week, the first to the back of the line, to receive God's favor, to dump these frustrations off to him. And God uses that. And it's a calling that Peter calls it a glorious calling. He says, man, it's glorious. This is good stuff. Our suffering has an expiration date. He's writing this to people who are, they've been taking it in the teeth. It's horrible. He says, no, no, no. If you've got honest prayer, you have the chance to be restored. You have the chance to get the strength you need. You have the chance to walk with your spouse and have that marriage look the way I want it to look because your frustration's got to go somewhere. You might as well dump it at my feet. And so, you know, this is the point where typically we go, we sit in the scripture, and then we go and we say, well, how does this apply to us? And if you're someone who stands where I do or where Brad does, Craig, whoever is up here each week, you typically get to a point and you think, okay, who's going to be in the room? And some people are going to be here. Some people are going to be there. Some are going to know Jesus really well. Some aren't going to know Jesus from the back of their shoulder blade. And, and, and it's fine, but you just throw out challenges. And when I came to this, I'm like, all right, God, how are we going to challenge people? He's like, you're going to look at everybody and you're going to say, you need to pray honestly. And here's why Peter said it, you need to do this. I was like, no, 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 God, like you need to be more specific. Like people need specific. He's like, no, I, I just need you to say what 
I told you to say, and that's your job. You need to tell people, pray honest prayers. So, okay, cool, that's great. So, in case you were wondering, God wants you to pray honest prayers. He wants you to step out of your comfort zone. He wants you to recognize he cares. He wants you to see that he's got a plan. He wants you to know he knows there's an enemy. He wants you to know he's beaten that enemy. He wants to know, he wants you to know that your suffering has an expiration date. And you can take a step forward because he's telling you to do it. I've had to grapple with this because this means you basically take your box and you set it here, Hope Streams Desires, and one by one you pull them out and you look at them and you say, okay, God, okay, babe, if your spouses are with you, what do we do with this? First service today for me, I found myself doing this because sometimes I get up here and it's like it's just so smooth and it's like, oh, God, this is great. You got in a zone and it's fun. Some days I get up here and it's like everything closes in in a tunnel and it just feels like a fight the whole time. This ser- the first service was a fight. I couldn't hardly, I just struggled to form words. And I was like, God, I'm so sorry. I just, and, and, and God was like, hey, one of the things in your box is you think that your sermon has to be perfect. And you know what? You're doing the best you can. Your sermon doesn't have to be perfect. You got to say what I tell you to say. You need to get the heck out of the way and you need to trust me. So today at the end of first service, I pulled out my box and I went, yep, perfect sermon. And I threw it away. And so I'm trying to do this, and I'm going to challenge you. Can you just start doing that this week? Think ahead. You've got seven days. You've got 168 hours. Where are the windows, morning, noon, night, whenever? You're going to take some time and just pray honestly on your own time, with your spouse, with your boyfriend, girlfriend, fiance, kids, people in your group. When are you going to get honest, pull out that box of hopes, dreams, and desires, and just start looking and saying, God, what needs to come out of the box? What needs to go back in the box? How does this need to not become a demand and an expectation I put on my wife or on my husband? And what's so cool is, if you're willing to do that and you're willing to take time, the way God works is you start seeing some of the stuff in the box differently. You You remove a few things, you put a few things back in, you pull it out, and you go, oh, well, the reason I felt like I'd never make enough money is because that was spoken over me all the time. You gotta make enough money. You just gotta make enough money. That needs to be your main focus in life. You go, no, I need to do what I think God's calling me to do and I need to trust he's gonna give me the money I need. And you need to cast that out of the box. So, you know, we're, we're in this season where um, last night I sat and um, Saturday nights can be a lonely time when you know it's coming for church. Because I, I like coming to church. And I, I know I work here, I say you're supposed to do that, but I, I just love people. I love a lot of you. Like I can look here, I just saw at least seven or eight people just in that little scan that I can go, you all showed up in my life and you've loved me. I love coming to church. And yet Saturday night can be one of those times where the attack starts coming and I'm like, oh, like the weight bears down. It's like, I don't know how I'm going to go there tomorrow. Um, you know, with this pandemic with COVID-19 for the last couple months with the stuff happening in our country and George Floyd getting killed and all the riots happening and just seeing the brokenness of our world. It just was all weighing down. And I found myself praying last night, God, what are you doing? I just want you to change this situation. I want you to change this freaking situation. 
I was so mad and I was frustrated. And I felt God say, you know what? Like, sometimes I change situations. But you should know me well enough because you've been walking with me since you were nine years old. And you know, Mike, I don't change the situations usually. Usually I change people. And those changed people go and they do what I tell them to do and that changes the situation. I went, okay. I can go tomorrow. I can say that, God. I can say that. I, I wanted to, you to hear the story. Um, sometimes in a marriage series, it's helpful. We're talking about how we live this out in life, how we do this with our spouse. It's nice if you hear from the other half. And so Brad mentioned a few weeks ago, hey, if Sarah's willing, it'd be really cool if she'd share some of the story. And so Sarah sat down and uh, Nolan got a chance to film her uh, just talking a little bit about our life over the 11, almost, almost 11 years we've been married. And I wanted you to hear her take, her version of it. Um, and I hope it challenges you and encourages you. So just uh, watch the screen and um, we'll see what God does with this. So many of you know Michael's and my story over the last um, like six-ish years. He's been in seminary and it's just been super hard and in many cases not pretty. Um, when we, it was like 2014 and we um, had felt the Holy Spirit say, hey, you guys need to start seminary. So we went through that process and he um, got into Gordon-Conwell in Charlotte. So we went there. Um, a week after he had resigned from his job, we found out we were pregnant with Adalia, our youngest. And um, we went through the process of moving there and um, he had a hard time finding a job and ended up working at Chick-fil-A. And just that first couple of years, um, it was just hard. You know, he's working 40 to 50 hours. That extra 10 hours makes a huge difference when you're working at Chick-fil-A and you have to like feed your family and stuff like that. Yeah, so he was working there and then he was doing seminary on top of that. And um, we didn't know it at the time, but he had 88 or he has ADHD and so, um, Basically, it's hard to focus, and so when there's so much stress in front of you, so much responsibility, and then you also have trouble focusing, it's just not a great combination. And so um, that, along with anxiety, Michael shared some about what that has looked like, but um, panic attacks became pretty like normal on a, on a consistent basis every couple days, and um, it was just hard. And um, I didn't really know what was going on there. So we're sitting here, we start seminary, and this becomes our norm for the next couple years. We get a couple years in and he and I are looking at each other like, okay, what do we do? Like we still have probably four more years left of this. Um, so do we take a break or do we just keep going? Um, we're confident that God has called us to do this and yet this is not at all what we expected. Um, he and I did not agree on what that should look like. And um, starting there, coming out of all of the stress and the overwhelm of this season, um, I just started to get very angry um, and I turned resentful towards my husband in that process and um, that resentment grew into bitterness. And I remember during that time, so I've got three very small children, we have no money and um, he is in school doing what we both believe that God has called us to. And I'm just so angry. I'm looking forward to like when will my kids be in bed so I can check out. I feel really lonely, I feel very disconnected. And um, I know a lot of us, when we um, like numb out or check out, we have um, sometimes good things that we abuse or sometimes like bad things that um, just are bad from the beginning. And we um, turn to that. I had both in this season and there was a lot of guilt and shame that came along with this. And yet I feel very stuck 
in this um, this rhythm that we had created and that we weren't sure that we would be out for another like four years, which is a really long time. So um, I've got this going on in my life. And at the same time, I have felt this conviction um, that I believe was from the Holy Spirit. And it also played out as guilt and shame in this area too, but this conviction that I needed to be in scripture on a consistent basis. Now I grew up in a Christian home, so I know this is important, but it has always been super difficult for me to do that. And um, I didn't really understand why it was important to be um, in scripture. I just knew that I should. And so during this time, I have this conversation with my friend and we're talking about this and she's like, hey, so um, I have been a part of this Bible study and it has been a game changer for me in this. They meet on a weekly basis. It's about 10 months out of the year. So you have that consistency. You're around other people um, that are older than you from different traditions than you that are pursuing the same thing. And it's it's just been huge. And so um, in that moment, the Holy Spirit was just very clearly like, Sarah, you need to step into this. So I did. Um, I drug my three little babies every week, sometimes late, um, but we showed up every week and um, I spent that time with God. I was consistently with him on a daily basis. And it was crazy because it's not like there was this huge 180 turn for me all of a sudden. Like I still am dealing with all of this pain. I'm dealing with it poorly. At the same time, I'm still spending, I start spending this time with God and he starts to work in me. He starts to, the Holy Spirit started to change my heart. So some of that was conviction. Some of that was like healing different things going on. And over time, like he, I start to look differently. Um, I'm obviously very aware of my depravity in this part of my life. I see my sin, it's right in front of me. And um, the Holy Spirit used that to burn out pride in my heart, to um, grow a humble heart in me, even in the midst of the mess that was there. Um, so I'm sitting here, I'm struggling, I'm getting to know God in a different way than I ever have before. And um, I start to bring this pain and this bitterness and this anger um, into that time with him. And it's so cool because not only is he working in some of these small areas here, but now when I'm sitting down with my husband and he is having a panic attack, he's incapacitated and I've got my three babies here and I'm, I'm covered in fear. And I'm like, is this gonna be the reality forever? Like, will my children grow up and this will be their reality? Will Michael never move past this or like never figure out how to cope with this? Like no longer is it just like, God help, God help, God help. Cause like generally that's the way we respond when we're overwhelmed and struggling. But it, it, it was just different. Like my relationship with the Lord was um, something that was consistent. And so like I could feel he was present with me in that. And he was helping me in that moment when I'm saying, okay, God, like I'm sitting here and I don't know what to do. I'm still bitter towards my husband. I don't want to be doing this, but like, will you help me walk through this? And he started to do that. And so for those of you who are worried, like I'm not bitter towards Michael anymore. God has like walked me through that and um, healed so much of that in me. But um, what, what I've learned through this process is one, like this stuff is not all gone. Like we are, like I'm still in the process of learning and growing, but as I'm spending time with God each day, as I am, um, we're talking about first Peter today and like we're told to cast our cares on cast our cares on God. Like he is present in that. He was present when I'm sitting there with no money. Like how do I feed my family? He's present when I'm sitting there with my husband in the midst of a panic attack. He's present when I'm watching my kids and I'm like, am I screwing them up? Um, he's present in that, but he can also bear that. 
And not only that, but he works in that. Not only is God um, able to carry our burdens, but he will work in them and work through them to change us, to draw us to himself, and to heal our marriages, to heal our hearts, yeah, and to heal our community. In the Farnsley house, prayers there are pretty much always raw because we feel very raw a lot of the time. Uh, it's the starting place where we try to meet God. And um, so I want to encourage you, you know, as we get ready to kind of have our response time here and Brandon comes to lead us in a song, I want to encourage you, you can sit in this. You can look ahead. You can set the time and start praying honestly to God and just see what he does. And I recognize if you do this, you know, it may not sound pretty. It won't be formal at all, you know, but you're not going to have a four-letter word slip out like might happen and God be like, what the heaven are you thinking? You know, it'll be able to go, okay, good. I'm glad you're honest. Let's see what we can do with this. And so I want to encourage you um, to think right now as we go to respond, you know, this is the time we give our time, we have our talents, we give our treasures and so think about that time. Where's the time this week you're going to give to God? Maybe some extra time beyond what you normally would. You know, um, right now, what are, is there a talent? Is there some gift God's given you? Or maybe a word he just put in your mind. You're like, I got to go speak this to somebody. Well, will you go do that and be faithful to that? Do you need to just give your treasures? And if you're online, click that link on insidesc.org and just give or walk up to one of these boxes and give. Like, you know, I don't know where God's meeting you, but I know... He's sitting here and there are situations outside of this room that he does not want to stay that way. And the way he's probably going to change them is by changing you first. And the way, one of the main ways he's going to start that change is by you saying, okay, I'll pray honestly. I'll give my frustration to you because I know if I turn it in on myself, it won't work. I know if I turn it on my spouse or my girlfriend or my kids, it won't work. I know the last four months, five months haven't looked like I wanted but the next four or five months can look the way God wants them to if I start with honest prayers. So let's take this time, sit under these words Brandon's going to sing. If you know it, awesome, sing with him. If not, just let that just wash over your heart and mind and say, God, do what you do. Do what you do. Jesus, use this time. Meet us here. I pray we will be changed people. Whether we're sitting here as a high schooler, as a grandparent, a working parent, retiree if we're sitting here or a widow or a widower God if we're sitting here as an elementary kid as a young adult as a college student we come to you as one big motley crew one big dysfunctional family wanting to speak honestly to you God it's what we want to do and we trust that um, if we follow you we're your kids you're our dad if we'll be humble, you won't just push us aside. You will hear our prayers we offer right now over these next four minutes and beyond. In your name, we just come to you and we pray. So be it, because that's what amen means, God. We pray, so be it this way. Amen.